The Joyful Friar podcast is made possible by the generous support of our friends. To support the podcast, please visit nathan-castle.com and donate today. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm your host, Father Nathan Castle. I'm here today with my assistant, Toto. Um, I'm thinking of this as the back pain edition of the Joyful Friar. I've been struggling with back pain for a week, but he is so compassionate. You can tell in his eyes that the, he knows that um, that he wants to help. So he's uh, he was eager when I said, would you help me? He just jumped all over me and said in his own dog way, yeah, let's do it. So today we're doing the first part of a trilogy of a story that's near the end of my second Afterlife Interrupted book. It's all the way at the back. It's in what we call part two. It was the first time that we told a story publicly of a person whose death came by suicide, or as B uh, called it, at her own hand. Uh, the story will be you know, fleshed out in greater detail should you choose to read it or listen to it in, uh, in book two. But in short, today I'm going to just describe that story uh, in, uh, in basic form. And then the next two pieces of this trilogy will go into uh, other aspects of it. Um, compassionate response and a spiritual practice that this story might um, prompt. So this one was a little different in that it was two stories that were um, interwoven, kind of. They were both sad. I, I um, remember I was in the dream I was receiving. It was a Midwestern city. I wondered if it might be St. Louis, but it was some city that had been around long enough to have buildings from the second half of the 19th century. Everything looked decrepit and empty and, and sad. It made me want to uh, renovate it somehow or do something to help. Um, there were two parts to it, but I'm going to try to can, to uh, to stay with the part that pertains only to B. This was a young woman who um, lived on a farm, I think, with in a in a rather large family. I think she was the eldest. She had a, a number of younger siblings. I know that it was near the end of the depression, so late 30s. Um, she she mentioned at one point that she she got involved with a big band where she was a singer and a group, an all-male group of instrumentalists, but she was the lead singer. And she mentioned that at one point that some of their songs were patriotic because uh, the world was beginning to be at war. Well, the Second World War started in 1938. The American entrance into it was in late 1941. So it's in that time period uh, that uh, this story takes place. She explained to us when she came through that um, her name was Beulah. She didn't like her name, and neither did the people who were plucking her out of obscurity and trying to make her a star, uh, or at least put her on the um, the big band circuit. You familiar with that era? Um, I, I remember it kind of through the Lawrence Welk show that my parents watched when I was a child. There would often be a group of mostly men playing um uh, horns, uh, um, a lot of clarinets, maybe some drums and things, but uh, much of it was uh, was um, woodwind instruments. And there would be very often a, a, a sole woman singer. And 
the the songs could be a very different kind. She described that that they were mostly playing in supper clubs. She said at first they um, they stayed fairly near where she was raised, but as time went on, their trips were further away. She also said that um, at the beginning of an evening, they played background music while people enjoyed their meals and their conversation. It was supper clubs. Then maybe after a break, there would be um, dance music. After they, their meals were done, they were uh, the music encouraged them onto the dance floor. Then as the evening wore on, um, there might be another break. And after that, the set would be uh, romance songs, many of them that were sad songs about broken romances or maybe uh, partners who were separated in that era of, uh, you know, military service and and war overseas was separating lots of of uh, beloveds from one another. And then she said uh, near the end of it, the, the songs got sexier and might be about wishing I could go home with you. Baby, it's cold outside, that, that kind of uh, song. Anyway, she said that was kind of the format of things. She um, explained that uh, that they they made up a name for her. They called her B, B-E-A, which sounds like it would be short for Beatrice. Although she said that was never my name, but anyway, I was that. She, she had to explain to her family about changing her name, that uh, she was going to have to go along uh, with these people if she was going to have this career. She also said that um, for the movie magazine, I mean, I'm saying movie, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, uh, publicity magazines, they would make up stories that backstories about romances and life events that had never happened. And she said she just had to explain to her family with it that if I'm going to be in this career, you're going to read a lot about things about me that never happened and that aren't true. But that just seems to be the way these people do things. So she got used to that. Well, um, for a while, things went along okay. Uh, she explained to us that she was a virgin, that she had never really even dated. And so she had to sort of sell these romance songs as though she had some experience of them, but in truth, she really didn't. So um, things went along okay for a while. I think she said early on that even though she was an unescorted young woman, in the world that sometimes she was put up in a like a boarding house where they'd be something like a dorm mother or something. But after that, they um, they just began housing her in the same hotel with all the men. And then I think she said, mine was not the only key to the room. What began to happen to this maybe 18, 19 year old young woman was that the boys in the band began to just let themselves into her room she said, I had to defend myself in my own room and in my own bed from my coworkers and bosses. She danced around the word rape and she explained why. She said, I always thought that a rape was something that occurred when a woman was accosted on the street by some stranger and, and that uh, it was a, a, a one and done event, a criminal act. But she said, this was not that. I knew these people. And um, she just tried to pretend it wasn't happening, is what, what she said. She said, um, and then I, she said, I learned that if I let them do what they wanted, they were finished and done and gone faster. And then I would clean myself up, try to get some sleep, 
and I'd have to see some of these same people in the morning um, and uh, talk about tonight's show. So she just tried to pass all of it off as something that never even happened or something like that. Um, I don't think that's really that uncommon in uh, in sexual abuse of different kinds. Sometimes that's just the way that people deal with it. Anyway, um, that persisted for some time. And then uh, she discovered she was pregnant. She said, I couldn't have possibly known by whom. And she said, I couldn't bear uh, having to tell my parents that I was pregnant and I didn't know who the father was. So um, she, she said, I didn't even want to talk to any women who had been pregnant or who had children. Uh, she was just too ashamed. She figured she didn't have very much time to decide what she was going to do because she would begin to show. So she felt like she had to act quickly and the direction that she went was toward the possibility of uh, what she called taking matters into my own hands uh, with a gun. These men apparently all had uh, pistols, handguns. And in the dream, she was showing me a kind of a photo album of, of press clippings and pictures. And I was looking at that and really enjoying it. And then it began to be pictures or, or uh, uh, pistols, guns. And it began to be a little more ominous. Nevertheless, she um, she thought that she didn't want to be perceived as someone who had committed suicide because she just didn't want her family to have to grieve her as a suicide victim. She said, men often cover for themselves. And I thought if I could make my death look like it could possibly have been accidental, they could concoct a story and perhaps get away with it. So she... Um, she said rather than shoot herself in the head, she shot herself in the torso in a way that might have looked as though uh, it was accidental, maybe cleaning the gun or handling it in the wrong way or something. And she said in the in the end, that's what happened. They were able to pass her death off as a, something accidental, even though they were all complicit in it. Well, she also said that um, that she had been helped by someone you might at least know a little bit about. Uh, that would be Margaret Hamilton, the actress who played the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. She, um, Margaret was part of that Oz film team. And my first book, In Toto to The Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure, was um, uh, in, in those years I was praying to all of those people, most of whom had already passed as Margaret had. And I would pray to them and ask them while I was writing that book, if they would help me write it, if they would come along, come around, they were all creatives. Um, either that they were at least actors, actresses, singers, dancers, maybe some of them did some writing. Anyway, I used to pray to the whole cast and crew of the wizard of Oz. And uh, I would pray not just for the famous ones, but the way I put it in prayer pretty regularly was I, I wanted to include everyone who swept a studio floor or sewed a button on a costume. Well, Margaret Hamilton came along with B and said, um, she introduced herself at the front end and said, uh, Father Nathan knows me just a little bit. And he has addressed me and others in prayer for a long time. And uh, he has a heart for people in the, uh, the entertainment industry and our difficulties. 
So anyway, uh, Margaret said she uh, had been a part of the care team for B in the afterlife, that she was helping her sort things through uh, and find a way forward uh, in her afterlife. Uh, when it when B got all the way to explaining things uh, and and you know telling her the story that I just related for you, um, we always do a follow up visit after the person does their initial crossing. The the crossing was really sweet, and I think you'd like reading about it in the book uh, in more detail. But she decided that the, that that um, Margaret would escort B on a kind of a girl date in the posh neighborhood of some town where there were. Um, fine shops for women. In those days, of course, most women wore um, hats and uh, and gloves and had a handbag and all that. Uh, maybe there was a tea room or something that was just for, for women uh, to, to uh, socialize. So she said, we're going to do that. And then, then uh, B explained that here, everything fits. It's They have it in all different colors. Everything is in your size and nothing, nothing costs any money. So she said it was it was really a fun thing and that she really enjoyed Margaret's company. She appreciated that she had been folded into that cohort in the afterlife that was people who had um, suffered because of their art in the entertainment field. But anyway, they had gone on some sort of adventure. That was her way of moving in the afterlife from one realm to the next. It looks like my friend is needs to uh, take a little break. When we encountered her in prayer, protected prayer the second time to ask permission to use her story. The main concern she had was that um, she would she would be happy to have her story help someone, but she didn't want to be a part of any religious shaming. And I said, well, I would not do that. And I explained to her that uh, in my lifetime as a Catholic, when I was a child, if a person had taken their own life. They were denied a Catholic mass, uh, funeral mass and burial in a Catholic cemetery. But I told her that uh, during my lifetime, it was really from the bottom up, the kind of grassroots level that people and local priests and so on just said, this is not right. We're, we're, we're uh, hurting our people right at the time that they need the consolation of the, the church community the most. And that changed and it changed formally in our uh, liturgical books and in our practice. So anyway, I explained to B that, uh, no, there would be no religious shaming. And uh, she said, well, then fine, um, uh, because uh, I don't want to be a part of any of that. So um, she did say that we could use her story. As it's gone on, um, she explained to us that she uh, knows that now I include her in a category that I call the book people when I pray. Sometimes I ask uh, as a group, would the book people come and be with me? And would you help me in this project that I'm working on? So she said she was honored to be included in that number. And she offered friendship uh, to, uh, to Lisa, my prayer partner, to Catherine, my sister, who was also a prayer partner, and to me. She uh she essentially said to us, you're, you're lovely people. I'm grateful for what you've done for me. And when it's time for you to make your own crossing, I hope we'll be friends. I love that part about the work that I get to do. You just get to meet the nicest people. And it just is so consistent to me as a Catholic Christian where, you know, Jesus dies a horrible death too, but Good Friday does move into Easter Sunday and you just don't have to wait too long. Uh, things uh, shift. And they did for B. 
So that's the short story of uh, B, who took matters into her own hands. In the following two uh, podcasts, we'll go into this story in greater depth. The next time, the focus will be on compassionate response to this story. Uh, I'm sure that many of you who are watching and listening to this podcast have uh, suffered the suicide of someone that you care about, if not very directly, maybe uh, one step removed, someone in your outer circle or somewhere. But um, uh, there's just enough of that kind of, of suffering in the world that I hope that in the this uh, podcast in the next two might be of help to you. So that's it for this little episode of The Joyful Friar. Thank you for being with me, and I look forward to being with you again. God bless you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. Please like, follow, and subscribe. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. God bless.